Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast where we take a closer look at popular songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call and no matter when I start, I'm always finishing after midnight. I have no idea how that happens. Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, where you can find some stuff that I found interesting and some other stuff that doesn't necessarily fit well into the podcast. Also, please go uh, follow and like the show's Facebook page, which will have some other stuff that'll keep you busy. You can find that over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. You know, uh, How Good It Is continues its run as a featured podcast on the uh, Podcast Republic app, which you know by now is my favorite. And I like them extra hard because we've moved up to fourth in their featured rankings. Yes, we have. You can get podcasts from all the major providers, and then you can set up playlists, which is pretty groovy and makes for safer driving because you don't have to fumble with your device between titles. Podcast Republic is available for free in the Google Play Store, or you can just click the button at the How Good It Is website. It's a song where more people sing along with the guitar riff than they do the lyrics. And in fact, I would bet that most people don't even know the lyrics. And it's based on a true story. It was the uh, December 4th, 1971, at the Montreux Casino in Switzerland. Frank Zappa was on the stage performing with his band, The Mothers of Invention. This was going to be the last show for the theater before they closed for the season. The next day, the band Deep Purple was scheduled to come in and record in that space using equipment from a mobile recording studio that they had rented from the Rolling Stones. Uh, Zappa had been playing for nearly an hour and a half, and they were on their 16th song, which was titled King Kong. Now, early on in the song, Don Preston was just starting up his synthesizer solo when somebody in the audience took out a flare gun and fired it at the ceiling, and the ceiling was covered in rattan. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, rattan is a woody vine that's often used to make wicker furniture. It's generally durable, it's flexible, it takes paint and stain well, and of course, it's good for outdoor use. But, like any other wood, it eventually dries up and becomes more flammable as it ages. And sure enough, the flare gun set the ceiling on fire. As it happens, the concert was being recorded, and the recording survived the fire. Now, the uh, stupid Arthur Brown joke aside, you can hear that things are actually pretty calm, largely because the fire wasn't that big at first. 
Uh, one of the voices you hear is the director of the Montreux Jazz Festival, a guy named Claude Nobbs, and he was helping some of the audience get out. He definitely saved their lives because the people he was helping had taken place in the... Uh, they, they, were, they, they had uh, taken refuge in the casino portion of the building, and he knew that that wasn't safe from the fire. Nobody was seriously hurt because everyone got out without panicking, but once the building really caught on, it was a huge, huge conflagration. The theater was completely destroyed, the casino, everything was just reduced to ashes. Zappa's band had lost all of their instruments and equipment, and Deep Purple, well, they now had no place to record their album. Incidentally, there are conflicting reports with regard to whether or not they were at the concert, but since they were watching the aftermath from the Eurotel from across the lake, I'm going to go with not. But there they were in Switzerland with an expensive mobile recording studio and no place to record. I guess I should point out here that the recording studio just contains the recording equipment, but not the actual space to play. And if you want to see that studio, well, it's at the uh, National Music Center in Calgary, Canada, or you can just look at the photos I've posted at howgooditis.com. So Deep Purple began scouting around the town for another place to work, and Claude Nobbs located a theater for them called The Pavilion, which worked out well at first, but the locals started complaining about the noise, and the police shut them down. The band only got so far as getting Richie Blackmore to lay down some backing tracks for an untitled song, which at that point was called Title Number One. A few days later, they were able to rent out the Montreux Grand Hotel, which was also shut down for the season, and was therefore nearly empty, and that's where most of their album Machine Head was recorded. They were down to needing one last track to round out the album. And in 1996, Roger Glover recalled in an interview that he had the images of the fire running through his head, and he specifically was thinking about that smoke spreading out over the surface of Lake Geneva. From that, he came up with the phrase, smoke on the water. But when he mentioned it to lead singer Ian Gillen, well, they both came to the conclusion that that sounded a little bit like the title of a drug song and filed it away temporarily. According to Glover, it wasn't really until near the end of the Machine Head recording session that the title suggested itself as the vehicle by which they could tell the story of the fire. So Ian Gillen came up with a set of lyrics, and Richie Blackmore came back to that unfinished piece from the Pavilion Theater, title number one. Now, frankly, there isn't a ton I can tell you about the song itself. It's a fairly straightforward and quite accurate account of the band's experience of the fire and its aftermath. But there are a few things worth pointing out. We've already talked about Frank Zappa and the flare gun that started the fire. Incidentally, once in a while while performing the song live, Ian Gillen would change that line to some stupid mother fudger with a flare gun. Only he didn't say fudge, of course, but this is a clean podcast, so... In case you haven't figured it out, Funky Claude is Claude Nobbs, and I think this makes for the only hit song where my first name appears. Now, according to an interview Nobbs did with Gibson.com in 2010, uh, the band later on played the track for him, but they said it wasn't going to be on Machine Head. Well, Nobbs told them they were crazy and it was going to be huge, so they included it on the album. So finally, there's that reference. We didn't have much time, and then later on in the song, Swiss time was running out. This appears to refer to the fact that the band's visa was set to expire in a few days, so they had to hurry up to finish their recording. And in fact, they actually spent more time in, uh, the, um, in the Grand Hotel than they were supposed to, and they nearly got kicked out of there before they were finished recording. So if it had been up to the Swiss police, this song wouldn't have existed. 
Machine Head album was released on March 25th, 1972, and Deep Purple, as I said before, they didn't really think much of Smoke on the Water, at least they didn't think it was going to be a hit anyway, so the first single off it was this track, called Never Before, which peaked at number 35 on the UK charts. Never Before was followed by Highway Star, which was released in the United States, but did not chart. And so far as I can tell, it wasn't a single in the UK. Nowadays, I think you would be considered part of like uh, the deeper catalog of album-oriented stations. So by the time 1973 rolled around, Deep Purple had already released their next album, Who Do We Think We Are?, and the single Woman from Tokyo had made an appearance on the U.S. charts. It was shortly after that that a decision was made to release Smoke on the Water as a single. That turned out to be a pretty good idea as the song went to number four on the Billboard chart, although again, it wasn't released as a single in the U.K. Now the song, and especially that opening riff, has, of course, really infused itself into pop culture. It's often one of the first things that novice guitar players will learn because it's a relatively simple riff to learn and to play. Having said that, however, Richie Blackmore has pointed out that most people who attempt to play it do so improperly. Bearing in mind that right now I have no idea what I'm talking about, most people play it as power chords when it's really a series of double stops. But because it's easily faked with the power chord variation, it's become a staple of an interesting contest. You see, in 1994, in Vancouver, British Columbia, 1,322 guitar players got together to play the riff all at the same time as a shot at getting a listing in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most people playing the guitar at the same time in the same place. Try as I might, I was not able to find audio of that event, but... In the first week of June 2007, KYYS Radio in Kansas City, with the assistance of local music store Funky Monkey, yeah, put together 1,683 guitar players in order to set a new record. Now I know what you're thinking, that doesn't sound like 1,683 guitar players, but bear in mind that you've got the bandstand, which is playing most of what you hear, okay? You've got a lot of players out there who are using acoustic guitars, you've got a lot of players who are out there using electric guitars that don't have any um, amplifiers, 
And you've got a bunch of guys who are out there who do have electric guitars and do have amplifiers, but they're battery powered, so there just isn't that much push behind them. Unfortunately, that record did not last very long. Just a couple of weeks later, on June 23rd, 2007, the town of Leidenfeld in Germany got 1,802 players together and set a new record. But the big winner was in May of 2009 in the town of Roklaw, Poland. 6,346 players, including Steve Morse, who was and remains the current guitarist for uh, Deep Purple, played Smoke on the Water all at the same time. Now, I'm not playing all of the clips because they, well, they pretty much sound alike. But if you're that curious, you can always do a YouTube search for Smoke on the Water World Record. I do warn you that they all look alike, too. And the constant motion of the all the low-resolution camera phone images is probably going to give you motion sickness that people can't hold still. Anyway, the record was broken again in 2012, again in Roklaw, Poland. It was the same event. And again, with Steve Morse participating. But this time, they played Jimi Hendrix's Hey Joe. Smoke on the Water has become so iconic that it pretty much defies being covered. And if you don't think that there are songs that can't be covered, well, why don't you give Madonna a call and see, ask her how American Pie worked out. But in December of 1988, yeah, there was a huge earthquake in Armenia which killed thousands and injured many, many more. And since Armenia was still part of the old Soviet Union, that nation was forced to ask for international help, which came from 113 countries officially. Plus, there was a lot that came from private donations and non-governmental organizations. One of those NGOs was a, uh, an organization called Rock Aid Armenia, which was organized by the British music industry to raise money to help victims of the earthquake. The organization got together a couple of singles essentially re-recorded by supergroups. And the cover of Smoke on the Water was by far the most successful and best remembered. Among the participants were Deep Purple's Richie Blackmore and Ian Gillen, plus David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, Brian Adams, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath, Brian May and Roger Taylor from Queen, and several others. The song actually reached the UK Top 40 chart in the summer of 1989. Okay, there is another cover that I think is worth sharing with you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil up front that this is um, this is Richie Blackmore providing the guitar. This is Pat Boone from his 1997 In a Metal Mood album. He's giving it a big band feel, but like I said, that's Richie Blackmore providing the guitar. And, you know, he's, he's respecting the song, really. I mean, yes, there's a little bit of a ha-ha-ha factor to it. Boy, this is weird. But he's actually doing a pretty good job with it if you can kind of pull away from that, that bit, right? Smoke on the water, fire in the sky. 
Okay, I've got one more thing to share with you. Remember how this whole thing started with a Frank Zappa concert? Well, it turns out that poor old Frank wasn't having a very good week that week in 1971. As I mentioned before, Frank and the band, they lost all their stuff on December 4th, 1971, in that fire. Only two days later, Zappa was performing in uh, London when a fan pulled him down off the stage. And when Zappa fell into the orchestra pit... Well, he wound up with a broken leg. And that is what prompted Ian Gillen to do this when the band performed the song just a few months after it was originally recorded on the BBC. Break a leg, Frank. He actually did that a few times. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or... You can follow me on Twitter at How Good It Is Pod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash How Good It Is Pod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I throw in a few extra bits for you. Thanks again to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. Uh, and by the way, whatever um, podcatcher you use, please, please, please take a couple of minutes and leave a positive uh, rating, a comment, that kind of thing. Every little thing counts when it comes to boosting the show, right? Next time around, we're going to find out how good it is to get caught up in the rapture. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.